Gosh, I think we're we're live. It's 2 p.m. on a Wednesday. That means that it's time for cannabis legalization news. Hi, I'm Tom. I'm a cannabis lawyer. You can find me by Googling cannabis lawyer and clicking on my website, cannabisindustrylawyer.com. And if you have any questions, it's really easy from that site to give us a call. Today, it's Miggy. And then, Miggy, who's the guest that you brought in? We got Travis Lippert. Did I say your last name right, bro? Yes, you did. Uh, Veedverks. Veedverks. What is Veedverks, Travis? Veedverks is a Colorado-based, veteran-owned uh, cannabidiol product manufacturing company. Um, Where do you guys grow in-house? Say again? Where do you cultivate? We don't. We buy uh, distillate or isolate from... Uh, Colorado labs. Nice. Cool. So all locally sourced type stuff? Yes. Yeah. If for no other reason than um, like we're small enough that we can be picky about our hemp. We're, you know, we're not buying uh, tractor trailer loads full of, of uh, isolate or even of biomass. So, uh, we still have the luxury of being able to buy Colorado sourced stuff and know that we'll always, you know, have enough for our needs. Nice. What, so so you growing to... one or, I mean, you say you're always going to have enough for your needs. Uh, isolate and, and distillate, those are commanding fairly high prices per kilogram. Uh, are you guys growing sales? Or are you expanding? We are. Um, we, so we started, we started the company we formed the team in 2014 and then we started the company on a 420 of 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and forgot your question. I was thinking about that. How the, fast are you guys growing? So okay. yeah, now we're in a, we're in a hundred and something stores now. And Damn. what we're, what we're hoping to accomplish this year is to um, be one of these hemp uh, CBD companies who gets on the shelves of Walgreens or CVS. Oh my God. Oh, really? That would be awesome. So you guys have actually sponsored uh, a NASCAR. uh, uh, How do you, what do you say? Do you sponsor NASCAR or like you sponsor a particular team? Yeah. In, uh, in 2017, May of 2017, I saw on my Facebook feed that this NASCAR driver had been um, basically banned from NASCAR for it's a small, uh, low budget team, family owned type operation that they had going on. And in 2009, his motor blew up while he was, uh, I think, qualifying for a race, a non points paying race. It was a no big deal. But NASCAR inspected the engine and found it to be like something like point zero three uh cubic inches too big in its displacement. And so they levied a gigantic fine against him and the crew chief and the team owner, the crew chief quit. So the fine went on to him or onto the team owner, which was the driver's wife. So they ended up with the biggest fine in NASCAR history still to this day. And until he could pay that fine back, he wasn't allowed to race in their top series. They have three national touring series. The, um, uh, it's called the, uh, monster energy cup series is the top one. And then the next level down is the Xfinity series. And then the next level down after that is the Gander mountain uh, truck series or Gander outdoors. They just changed the sponsor, the title sponsor this year. So he, he was able to keep racing in the second series down, but um, for eight years, he hadn't been allowed to race in the top series because it couldn't pay the fine. I mean, it was, it was like $750,000, which is crap. Yeah, you, how much were you paying to sponsor this guy? I'm, I'm sorry, I'll you don't that. Really had, but. <laughs> I'll t- well, I, I'll tell you what, it was a unique circumstance because I've done, um, I've worked on a couple other NASCAR sponsorship deals in my previous life, um, and I know what it should cost to get on the hood of the car. Um, but so I saw this article in the in my Facebook feed that said uh, this driver Carl Long is um, NASCAR is going to let him come back. I don't know what they did to work it out. I I know that he didn't pay that $750,000, but they just let him come back after all that time to race in the cup series. And all he needed was some tires. Basically it said, it it said that he needed um, 
Oh, I'll tell you, this was in the news. Uh, I mean, I read it. I read that he needed $25,000. And if he got that 25000 then he could go back and race in his first comeback race. And NASCAR fans, they are rabid fans. They are. I have heard uh, that. I've heard that NASCAR fans really take uh, making a left and going around a circle extremely, extremely seriously. They, many of them do. And so Carl, this driver and team owner, um, he was like the ultimate, you know, underdog comeback story. Carl returns to racing because NASCAR fans know that that was a bad deal that he got back in 2009. And I even knew that from, I'm enough of a NASCAR fan where I was familiar with the history. And so I just took a shot and I hit him on Facebook and said, <laughs> I don't know, 25 grand. Uh, let's talk. And I, I got a story to tell you. And so we got on the phone and I said, okay, now hear me out. We're a hemp company and started going into it. And, um, I, I knew that we had, and I was scared. Um, but I knew that we had an understanding, uh, in the making, um, between Carl and I, when he called it cannabis, Nice. like he didn't. Nice. And I thought that was, that was like my first clue that this was going to work. But did and, it get you in some trouble though, when you were doing the, uh, the sponsorship and you put Vberks on the hood, did, uh, the notion that cannabis, hemp, marijuana, all these things are intermingled. Did that get you into any, any media or trouble? No, I think all the media that came out of it was great. So we, we submitted to NASCAR our, you know, proposal we'd like to submit. We don't like to sponsor this driver or Carl emailed the NASCAR sanctioning body, the person in charge of approving sponsorships and they approved it. And so we went forward, we got on the hood. Um, this all happened within a matter of like four days. We drove wow. you know, across Kansas, showed up at the race, saw the logo on the hood. Um, we went out to like get some t-shirts for my car and come back to the infield. And when we came back, we saw um, Carl and his, uh, one of his uh, mechanics, the front tire changer, Bobby Earnhardt. Um, they were gingerly peeling the logo off of the oh. hood. And uh, it's like, what? So oh. what's going on? Shit. And it, I guess when it went through uh, technical inspection, somebody's like, what's Veedverks? And they finally Googled this. I guess previously um, they misread, because our logo is a little bit ambiguous, uh, whether that's a V or an O, we certainly want it to look like a, or I'm sorry, a D or an O, like the mm -hmm. D in Veedverks. I was looking to see if I had a... It's, it's like literally right behind you, so you can see it in your... Um, yeah, there, there's another version of it. And it looked yeah. good on the NASCAR car, I might have had. It looked yeah, sharp. It was, it was beautiful. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it looked great. And then, so they, they just took it off. They took it off. And um, the deal was, I mean, that money that we'd spent had already in turn been spent. We bought tires for that car. In fact, I've got a picture on my phone of seven sets. I think it was seven or maybe it's nine sets of tires. And that's what, that's what we bought. He needed, he needed tires and he'd already started using those tires. And, um, Damn. they, uh, so, you know, he, up well, though, like with the, okay. So what year was this that you were, uh, you sponsored, you get on the hood and they started peeling it off. 2017. May of right. 2017. Now with the change in the law from the farm bill for that was signed into law uh, just this past December by Donald Trump, and now that hemp is 100% legal, do you think you guys have a shot at, uh, to try it again? We're working on it right now. We're waiting to hear back from NASCAR right at this very moment. Um, the last information I got from them was that uh, – we sent them products and they're going to have those tested. And if they come back with 0% THC, which they will, they will. Um, yeah. I mean, well, they we, gotta do we've got to right? button down. We've, <laughs> we, I know exactly how much THC and how much CBD is in those things. We have, we keep track of all this stuff. We test everything. Um, and uh, the lotions, uh, you know, start with isolate that has 0% THC in it. 
That's um, right. I mean, that stuff, the isolate is as white and pure as the, the chemical can get, right? Yes, it, it looks, I mean, it's a, it's a white powder. It looks, <laughs> I tell you what, if you're, you know, dividing it out into grams to sell, <laughs> you start to feel yeah, like. Yeah, people would be, be like, hey, buddy, what are you doing over there? Yeah, yeah. But, hey, uh, Travis, didn't uh, NASCAR, they have another deal now with a CBD company, don't they? Not NASCAR. Um, uh, oh, Indy 500, that's right. Indy. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So they are allowing... Um, uh, CBD and or industrial hemp companies to start sponsoring race car drivers. I mean, I've noticed that I, I can advertise my legal services provided that I say that I'm a hemp lawyer and I'm not really able to do it if I say that I'm a marijuana lawyer. Well, you know, the thing about Travis's logo too, which kills me is there's nothing on it that looks like pot. It, it, it's a beautiful little uh, mechanical logo, yeah. you know? Yeah. In our actual, hold on one sec. Guido, could yeah. you get me a logo sticker? Can you find a logo sticker for well, you me? You got your shirt too, bro. <laughs> yeah, I'm I want to get something I can hold up. So what yeah. we did, so that that was actually the first of four. So our our normal logo has a uh, a leaf, very small. Oh, okay. Yeah. So for, all, the, for all of the racing stuff that we've done, we just replaced that with racing. Ah. And we started a Veedberg's Racing Facebook page and stuff. Um, but, uh, so we, we let Carl keep the money. I mean, it had already been spent. And they and we just said, we'll keep working on this. And so two years later, we're still working on it. And so what we're waiting to hear back from NASCAR about is um, on August 31st in Darlington, South Carolina, in the Xfinity Series, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is coming back to race the only race that I think he's racing this season. He retired from full-time racing two seasons ago. He yeah. did one race last year, I believe. So Dale Earnhardt Jr. is coming back August 31st, Darlington. And um, what's interesting is that his cousin, Jeffrey Earnhardt, is a regular in that series. So they're going to have two Earnhardts in one race. And so what we're trying to do is put three Earnhardts, one race. <laughs> three, you know, and all of the symbolism. Um, oh. And uh, with Dale Earnhardt's number being three, but it'll be the first time I believe that three Earnhardt's have been in one NASCAR sanctioned race ever. And they really need that kind of PR thing. And so Bobby Earnhardt was the front tire changer on Carl's car. And so that's how I got to know Bobby. And so we sponsored Bobby in um, an ARCA race. We got on the, on the tail of it. And unlike the NASCAR race, ARCA didn't take the logo off. And so yeah. we're the first hemp company to have, uh, as far as I know, to get their their logo on national TV. I mean, we were we were in that in that race. And so the problem that we had after that, the fallout, um, which wasn't as you know high profile as the NASCAR fallout, but with uh, it wasn't ARCA that had a problem. It was FS1, and so they found out. Oh my god! The network found out what, about what, it. FS1, what's that? The channel. Fox Sports One, the the channel that broadcast the race on national TV. Hmm. Was, were you blurred out? No, no, they didn't. No, we're. I've got some great screenshots and stuff. <laughs> so yeah, and um, <sighs> so then we followed that up with um, a monster truck because it was a. How do you sponsor like a monster truck? Is there races in monster trucks? I thought they have events there. I would consider them to be more like shows than, I mean, they're competitive. I guess they, they get, there's a winner at the end of it, but mostly they just go jump over stuff and make noise. And so yeah, there was a, that's what I thought about monster trucks. So <laughs> how's the, uh, how's the mission for Veedworks going? You said that you guys are veteran owned and then, are you really trying to help vets that have PSD, uh, PTSD issues? Yes, we've been very active in that. I testified in the um, Colorado Senate when we finally got PTSD added as Colorado's ninth qualifying condition. Um, what year was that? It, uh, oh, gosh. Might have been 2017. I think, it was, I think it was 2017. And then 2018, we took a beating uh, in the legislature. We lost, uh, well, it, autism passed the house and the senate and then governor hickenlooper vetoed it for uh, autism 
for adding autism as a qualifying condition. So do you have science behind it? I mean, usually the science, the, it, when you have legislative decisions that are made, the, the legislative body is always what they call the fact finder and they find the facts. That's one of the, well, the FDA is doing it right now. We can talk about that later. But after Congress finds the facts, then it's usually up to the executive just to enforce. What what was Hickenlooper's facts that he found? He wanted more information. He, <laughs> I, I mean, the real answer is that he had designs on running for president and he thought that it would look bad if, you know, he allowed this. I don't know. It was yeah, a political know. decision. It, I mean, he just he broke some families' hearts and he caused a bunch of kids to suffer for another year, unnecessary year. Um, yeah. I mean, that was, there was a few, cause like what we do every uh, Wednesday at two here, you know, thanks for coming on. We usually talk about like what we saw for the past week and headlines for cannabis legalization news. And we're including both of the varietals, you know, cause it's cannabis is the plant. And then legally as terms of art, it's marijuana or hemp. And there was two uh, articles going around. One was on Marijuana Moment just like earlier today. And another one was, I can't remember where I saw it, but uh, it was CBD usage for reduction of alcohol intake and also for reduction of opioid painkillers. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, a, as a member in the uh, industry that's active, you know, one of the first uh, brands to be on NASCAR or brands to be on national TV, uh, have you noticed... Uh, any benefits from CBD when it comes to addiction or addictive personalities? I don't have any firsthand experience with that. Um, no. And I, you know, honestly, I, I don't, hmm. I could tell you a ton of stories about cancer and about epilepsy and about uh, things of that nature. But um, as far as, uh, you know, helping with addiction to other, other molecules, I can't really say that I I know any. But you know, it's got, it's got so many varieties of treatment, you know, and and that's why um, there's always this pissing contest of politicians saying that they need more back or more. Uh, you know, the plant's a thousand years old. Uh, it, it hits probably like a hundred varieties of diseases and, and ailments, and but yet you only deal with five people who are dealing with, say, PTSD or uh, cancer where someone else will use it for pain treatment or uh, psychological effects. You know, mm-hmm. you know, we all have our own driven purpose for it. And, but these, these, these douchebags who uh, are in charge and don't understand that the science is out there, it's just so fragmented. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I, I say vitamin THC. You know, uh, orange juice, you know, helps you prevent scurvy. <laughs> we all have our own what it helps us with, you know, with cannabis, I think. Yeah, I I've, I like that term vitamin THC. Hey, uh, with your experience in the industry and you said, you said uh, a lot of PTSD and cancer and epilepsy, are you familiar with like uh, dosing? Like how do you um, advise your clients when it comes to how much they may need? Do you tell them like, you know, start this and then work your way up or how does that work? Well, we only sell CBD products. And so that's a, that's a little bit easier um, to dose because I mean, there aren't any, if you, the difference between 10 and 20 milligrams of CBD is not as profound as the difference between uh, 10 and 20 milligrams of THC for a degree. So uh, for uh, CBD dosing, you know, honestly what I do is I recommend Dr. Regina Nelson's book on um, uh, got it just out of arm's reach back here, but uh, but in your position for, too, as a, as a company owner, you can't really say like uh, this is the medicine that you need to take in this way because that's kind of what the FDA is cracking on, isn't it? Kind of, yeah, yeah. And I, I worked for I was a, a drug company executive for 13 years before I joined this industry, and I dealt, um, extensively with, uh, say, the FDA's Office of Prescription Drug Promotion. Um, we had, I had uh, 35 products that I was responsible for the digital marketing of them. And uh, we had everything from uh, just calcium pills to, um, you know, black box drugs, an antibiotic that 
<laughs> that was marginally better than another commonly prescribed antibiotic for um, a sexually transmitted disease. But, you know, the one that we had was just, it had like an extra sulfur and two oxygens hanging off of it. So it, it, um, it was, and I guess it had a better side effect profile, but the real benefit was that it cost a lot more. Sure. <laughs> well, yeah. You say that's a benefit. Uh, who was that a benefit? No, to, to the company, to the company. There was no, oh, yeah, I, yeah. nobody, I, I never saw anything that said it had, that it worked better than this $2 pill. Um, but the, the thing with it is it was a black box drug. So what does that mean when you say it's a black box drug? I know it's not just like a, a pill that so, looks like a black box that you swallow. You know, the flimsy uh, little folded up origami uh, things that you get in a bottle of, you know, with a bottle of prescription pills and you fill Whoa. it out and it says, you know, indications, uses, um, adverse events, contraindications, and it lists out all of the information that they have to provide you with that drug. If you go to Walgreens or something, they probably print that all out on that great big stack that they give you. Right. When, they, when you pick up your pills, like it's 90% paper and then yeah. your pills are in there. Yeah. So if there are drugs that are approved by the FDA for, you know, a certain indication um, for, you know, this sexually transmitted disease, but, mm -hmm. Um, they're also bad for you in certain suspected ways. And so our our drug or our black box said that although we haven't tested this, um, this drug is very similar to another drug that's a known carcinogen. And so um, the black box is like, oh, yeah, you'll cure your STD. But just a little just a little heads up, you might get cancer from it. Um, huh. So like, with that knowledge that you have from the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, are, does, are, is there any application now that you're in uh, CBD hemp? Oh, definitely. Like I, I learned a great deal about um, what makes a, a product a potential winner. Um, just mm -hmm. about product development. We, we went from scratch on some projects. Um, we bought other companies and, and, you know, redid their products. We just, slapped our name on products. So I saw a lot of different ways to do things. And one of the main things I learned is that, um, I learned that you need to go look on the shelves of where you want your product to be and look at the prices of all those products and then figure out if you want to be the most expensive one um, among those or the cheapest one among those. And then you need to be able to do the math and figure out if you can afford to make that type of product. Um, and the number, uh, like I always tell people this, I always use a multiplier 5.5. If you take your cost of goods that go into a product, just the cost of goods, the raw materials and multiply it by 5.5, then if that number sits well on that shelf at that retail price level, then that's, that's worth pursuing. And we've pursued a, a number of projects that we didn't ultimately bring to market because uh, oftentimes they, they failed uh, that simple multiplier. I don't, it's like, I don't think we're going to be able to pay everybody who's got to make money on the way to the consumer. We're not going to be able to give the retailer a double. We're not going to be able to give the distributor their cut. And it's not like a large scale commercially viable product. Um, so I think that the knowledge that I gained working for that drug company really have helped us uh, pick and choose which products we launch and um, which products we pursue for, uh, you know, future launches. Do the, um, all your pens and topicals, they all come from the same farm? Yes. That's pretty dope. And I mean, that's kind of the whole uh, pro-American business. Uh, uh, what made you go into decided to, to be in the CBD line? <laughs> I did uh, special projects for that drug company as well. Um, what kind of special projects? Were you doing like some MK Ultra shit or, or what? <laughs> well, I, I worked on two NASCAR sponsorships for starters. Oh, shit. So that's how I knew about NASCAR. Huh. Um, that's guess... like we should have paid like a couple hundred thousand dollars to be on that hood. And uh, like I knew that fast, just intimately enough to know that that was a, a great deal. But I also like uh, 
that same drug I was talking about that uh, has the black box warning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it it really it didn't it didn't sell any better than the generic competitor that existed before we brought in this branded, you know, slightly different version of it. Um, so I spent uh, the better part of a year working on the plan to try and get this drug uh, indicated in dogs um, for, uh, you know, in various intestinal, uh, you know, parasitic types of diseases. So how did you go about that? Did you have to like work with the FDA to, or, or who is updating these black boxes on these drugs? I'm not sure if it's the FDA. Well, for a, for a prescription drug, it'd be the FDA office of prescription drug promotion, OPDP. Um, but once you go through, I mean, that's what happens when you get a drug approved by the FDA is that one of the things they approve is all of the packaging, all of the literature that goes into it and including the, uh, prescribing information or the, uh, your package, package insert. So your pharmaceutical experience really kind of gave you a heads, kind of a, a, a leeway into as this market becomes more, uh, I guess mainstream or whatever it's kind of helped you with that paperwork process. Cause I mean, any pill really right with like branding, I mean, finding a NASCAR stuff, I mean, pharmaceuticals, isn't that how they get their word out too? Yeah. I, I have definitely relied upon what I learned in a, in a similar industry and the dark side of the industry. Uh, you know, let's speak about that dark side for a second. Uh, are you familiar with Epidiolex? Yes. So do you think that Epidiolex, which is just, you know, CBD, basically kind of like a CBD isolate, uh, what role do you think that and the FDA may play? And are you concerned about it for your, your growing business? Um, I think that the best way for this to all shake out is for the FDA to carve out individual swim lanes for pharma and for nutraceuticals and for foods. And I think that there's a place in the in the market for pharmaceutical drugs that cost way more than we all know they ought to cost. But crackdowns. I mean, like that's that's the the stock market has just been obliterating a lot of the drug manufacturers, and Congress actually has some some movement on on trying to rein them in. Yeah, yeah. But nevertheless, there always be occasions like uh, like I, I just saw an article today um, that some study had come out that said adding uh, CBD to uh, standard of care for pancreatic cancer increased uh, survival like threefold, which is a big deal. Whoa, uh, whoa. And, for uh, pancreatic cancer, which is one of the most lethal ones. And, yeah, my know, dad's got it right now. My grandma died from it. His mom, I don't like my chances. My, my, my uncle just passed last a uh, few months ago. Uh, now, and Steve Jobs as well. I mean, a lot of people have passed from it. But when you are, when you have a cancer patient, because I, I have one across the street and I just, I, right now in my, my mailbox, the uh, CBD uh, extract that I, I purchased from one of my clients might be there waiting for them. But I don't, I mean, I was reading like the, uh, the packaging that comes with Epidiolex to try to abstract out what I would say is, you know, perhaps the dose, which is me just guessing, you know, and that's not really fair, but um, it's what I'm doing. I mean, like Epidiolex was talking about like 20 milligrams per kilogram of body weight, which is yeah. an obscene amount of, of CBD. It is. Well, uh, I, I, saw, I noticed that too. It, I thought, I mean, you're cramming people full of CBD. And they still like they got a little tired. That was like essentially the biggest side effect was they got a little tired. Like couldn't that 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 quantity that they're requiring for the epidiolex could that be partially because of how they're extracting it for that whole like uh, proprietary bullshit? Because I mean, as a if you were to grow the plant, uh, like Marinol, you know, epidiolex seems to be like Marinol to me, where it's something that's there's a process involved. That way, somebody can make money off of that one particular process, whereas. Uh, I think Travis would be more into the holistic type of uh, area where it's like, hey, I want to try a plant that was grown and extracted by people not in lab coats, but, you know, or, I mean, you're going to have lab coats eventually for a good process. But, yeah, they isolate. It's it's yeah. pure chemical, though. Like, once you get down to the isolate, you basically have up a dialect. Sure. And then maybe there's something, some twist in it, then what they do to it makes it 
weaker, but yet it's going to be consistent. Because I mean, like with kids that take take any CBD or RSO, it's always like a size of a, a grain of rice. You know, uh, it's not you're going to need a whole bunch per kilogram of your existence. Uh, maybe so, Epidiolex is isn't it just CBD and sesame seed oil? Isn't it? Isn't that? I'm not sure what the oil is, but yeah, there was like some oil, and then it was so many milligrams of CBD per milliliter of the actual yeah. substrate. But I thought that was a lot. How the uh, current tinctures that you can buy right now—I'm not sure what oil they are. Sometimes they always like advertise, "Oh, we also have medium chain triglycerides," which I just assume means like coconut oil, just because yeah. that's kind of trendy right now. Well, it's also easier to make a tincture out of MCT oil than just about anything else. It's uh, like olive oil isn't shelf stable. Um, it's it's but it's way more shelf stable than hemp oil. If you use hemp oil, then you've got to put it in the fridge as far as I can tell. Oh, okay. uh, MCT oil. Um, if you uh, if you want to make a tincture. Let's say you've got a, a two ounce bottle and we don't we don't make tinctures. We've we're. We don't make tinctures because we took the THC out of our product in 2017. And I believe that uh, I, I don't know how I can say with a straight face that our tincture is better because it's not than a full spectrum type of tincture. Um, and we used to before 2017, we played that game. We would isolate didn't exist. We would use distillate, which if you start with hemp that has 10% CBD and 0.3% THC in it, and that's hemp as per federal law now, um, then uh, you turn it into a distillate that's got, say, 80% CBD in it, then the distillate would have 2.4% THC in it. And bang, you magically have marijuana pursuant to the law, right? Well, in, in Colorado, is that's part of why it's a convenience to be able to only source our stuff in Colorado. Um, it doesn't cross state lines. And the Colorado Department of Agriculture said that they recognize that problem. This guy, Brad, from uh, the Plug Supply, I believe, is who asked the question, asked about these jars of distillate that we've got. And they said, well, you know, as long as you're all regulated by CDPHE, Colorado Department of Health and Environment, um, you know, as long as everybody down the chain is regulated by CDPHE and the finished product that leaves that, you know, the manufacturer, us, has less than 0.3% uh, THC in it, then that's good. So we understand that you've got kind of a hot jar of distillate right now. And so that's what we would do. We would we would dilute down the distillate to, so that the THC level was less than 0.3%. And then... Um, you know, that's that was our first vape cartridges. And we could only put in a one milliliter cartridge, we could only put 50 milligrams of, T, of CBD in it before the THC would, you know, start pushing that 0.3%. And then when isolate became available, we were able to then spike it with isolate to get that up to 150 milligrams. And then when isolate became more available, like when we started, CBD cost us $65,000 a kilogram. Uh, that, wait, that, that wait was a minute. crude. You say CBD crude was sixty five thousand. No, well, the the weight of the CBD in that crude oil. Oh, like I back see. Then, so I, the I, crude I will, would be like fifty percent, and then fifty percent would be CBD, and then so that weight of that fifty. Yeah, so two two kilo kilograms of total weight, say, if it's fifty percent CBD, would cost sixty five thousand dollars. That's what it cost us. Um, it uh. It's come but, down yeah. to about seven grand a kilo now, right? For isolates? It's, it's I heard uh I heard as low as uh I think it was fifty six hundred yesterday. Um and this is good stuff. This isn't you can go you can go find a kilo of C B D for probably thirty five hundred bucks if you really put your mind to it and you don't well, I don't know what you would do with it. <laughs> but um except make you know, sketchy products. For your pet. Yeah. Well, I, I don't. Or you know, if, if uh, so, now your uh, your CBD only products they're they can be go across state lines now, right? Yeah, yeah. I think we're in uh, we're it's at least nineteen states that we're in now. Nice. Uh, have you been to Oklahoma? Have you seen that CBD craze out there? 
I haven't. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I, uh, Amy Don Berlin Hilterbrand, who started American Metal American Medical Refugees, and um, also you know this talk to yeah. the six six three zero five zero seven hand. Uh, she's working on putting together a conference in Oklahoma. I think it's this fall. Oh wow! So I'm all over that. So I think that's really. That might be when I go to Oklahoma and really see what the what the scene's like there. It, it's it's booming. I, I think it's going to be a, a, a huge market. I mean, it's already been a huge CBD market. And I think, unfortunately, most people get their stuff from China. And as uh, as as the consumer becomes more aware and cares, then I think people like you will be in a good position because you can already get your stuff, you know, made in the USA. Locally sourced. But Illinois is coming online this year. And so I'm really interested. I mean, if the price of CBD has gone down and been cutting into a tenth since he's been doing this for just when did you say that was 2017? The price of the kilo. I think 2016 is when we bought that. Okay, so like in three years, it's gone down from like you know a dollar to ten cents, and then <laughs> Illinois comes online. Kentucky and Tennessee are just exploding, and then you have Oklahoma where they might start farming. Uh, What's the price of, of CBD going to go to in another five, 10 years? I think it will definitely reflect the commodity type of nature that, that we all tell people that hemp is. I, I think that, I mean, there is a lot of value added to it. Like, I, I think it will be a worthwhile endeavor to farm hemp in this country for the foreseeable future. I agree. I mean, like, I I think the the, uh, pharmacological aspect of the CBD uh, chemical, and then it's not just the the pharmacological, but also the, uh, what is this stuff, like with the lotions and the stuff, the cosmetic aspect, but uh, because you have a supplier that's there, are they currently like shucking their hemp so that they can take the CBD flower and throw that into the extractor, but then keep its um, stock and its herds for uh, you know, cloth or, or plastic applications? No, not really. It, the CBD hemp, um, the stocks are, they're not like fiber hemp type of stocks and they're Everything I've heard is that they're not very useful for that. They, it's more like animal bedding or something yeah. along those lines. Is, um, but the fiber, you know, what is, I mean, CBD plant, what, is it more like a, along the line of an indica plant? Because like the yes. sativa plant would be like twenty feet high, and the indica plant would be like five. Yes, but the mass from the CBD is what's actually also the beneficial part for like the paper and the clothing and all that. No, I thought the paper and the clothing was like the sativa plant, where you needed the tall, the tall stalks to. to yeah, make you want the long fiber. fibers. Oh, okay. Yeah. They don't they don't grow uh, fiber hemp and. CBD hemp the same way like CBD hemp they largely will plant from clones at least in like new setups like I know somebody who's I think she started eight farms in uh, southern Kansas this year and uh, they're planting from clones but for fiber you know if you look at that old victory for hemp uh, newsreel that they did back when they were trying to get people to grow hemp again temporarily in world war two like they were saying plant that stuff like super close together and mm-hmm. and so yeah it's i think fibers i don't see why anybody would plant a fiber crop from clone doesn't make any sense but uh, true they so just that, uh the questions in the uh uh, thanks. Uh, oh, yeah. the, the audience gets to ask questions. Isn't that uh, pretty well, Travis? Yeah. So, uh, Guy Mars, I always wonder why THC metabolites stay in your system for so long. Then after researching it, it's because our bodies like it and, try, and doesn't try to eliminate it. Yeah, that's the endocannabinoid system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Then there's another one, but I can't really make out because um, it says, how do I, how can I talk to this lawyer guy? He's out of Peoria, his knee. So, no, it's uh, probably about me or something. Yeah, there's... Sorry, Quinn. Uh, try that again. <laughs> so, 
Well, yeah, man, no, um, the other the other big news that came through this week. Okay. I mean, I, I saw some stuff about CBD and it's an addiction potential. Um, and then the, the size of the CBD market, uh, just because I was I was wondering, like, OK, uh, I've had some success with CBD for pain and for anxiety. How large a is the anxiety market? And right now I, I found a, a you know, press release that says the anxiety market is approximately uh, 18 billion bucks. Uh, and then, well, how large is the pain management market? And that one was 83 billion. So, Travis, have you seen people, uh, your clients report uh, success from CBD for the treatment of anxiety or pain? Absolutely. Both of those. Anxiety, pain, sleep. That's why people buy our products. Sleep it really works great for. I'm not even going to lie. Yeah. I, I've slept like a rock since I've been uh, uh, supplementing with it. CBD is okay. it, it's fantastic as an individual isolated molecule for some things. Uh, anxiety, pain, sleep. Um, you know, that's a. It's also a great anti-inflammatory. And I think the size of the market until I see a tube of toothpaste, a tube of Colgate toothpaste with CBD in it right next to a tube of Crest toothpaste with CBD in it, then this, then we need to grow a lot more hemp. Like do that calculation I talked about earlier, take a tube of toothpaste that costs at retail, say like $4. And so, you know, it costs the retailer two bucks. And so, you know, that all of the goods that went into that tube of toothpaste couldn't have cost more than uh, $2. 50 cents. So you think that because you said the five time rule was what you guys like to use, but then the price of CBD continues on that steep cliff that it's been on. You're going to have a lot more um, hemp related products that would check that box. I, I don't. Well, so if you've got a tube of toothpaste and you put 100 milligrams of CBD in it at today's cost, um, which would be like 60 cents. So if you can get just call it another three dollars and fifty cents out of that that four dollar tube of toothpaste if you can charge 750 for it then everybody's going to make money and you've got a killer toothpaste i'm so i'm flabbergasted that nobody's done it yet i I mean on a large national scale i mean i'm surprised that colgate palm olive is not making a cbd toothpaste yet it's only a matter of time um and that takes if you if you look at how many tubes of toothpaste are sold every year um, and just the number of stores that they're in, I mean, that's a, that's going to take a lot of hemp. It's going to take square miles and square miles and square miles of hemp just to do uh, just for somebody. I think I calculated it like, I think it was like 17 square miles. If you wanted to uh, put a flagship Colgate CBD toothpaste on the shelf, it'd be a lot of hemp. No shit. Yeah. So, hey, Travis, uh, you know, a lot of the lines of the phylos with uh, the cannabis side, do you think there'll be such a thing with the hemp side as far as varieties? Or is it pretty much no one gives a F about hemp varieties? I think people care a lot about hemp. I mean, what is hemp? Hemp is cannabis sativa L with less than 0.3% delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol on a dry weight basis. And we know that there are 113 at least phytocannabinoids in that plant. And the federal law only calls out delta 9 THC. But we all know that they meant what they really meant was THCA plus, you know, delta 9. That's something that's there because like Brownie Scout is this strain from Green Thumb Industries, which is an operator here in Illinois. They just torched uh, 37.5% THC, but it wasn't. It was 37.5% THCA and 0% THC. So it's technically industrial hemp, but it's not. Do you think that the USDA, the Congress, somebody is going to come along and provide some type of guidance about that? Yeah, they're definitely going to clarify that. Yeah. But the, the federal law refers in one of the documents that it refers to and that it amends or whatever, um, it, it uh, describes the method of testing used, and it yeah, was, and and it was gas would, chromatography, which would decarboxylate the THCA and turn it into delta nine. So I right. think it's a fool's game to be the, you know, I I've seen several geniuses who thought, oh, you know, 
this only has THCA in it and think that that's how they're going to start their successful hemp business. And I'm telling you, that's not, I would not fight that fight. They're going to figure that out. Uh, very yeah, and that's, that is, but it's there. And then they, they say that because these the ones that's in the uh, farm bill, they parroted in the Illinois law. And so it says, you know, you have to test it post decarboxylated comma or other similarly reliable process comma. So instead of using a gas chromatography, they're using the, High pressure liquid chromatography, which won't, uh, you know, uh, raise yeah. its temperature. Yeah, that's just. I mean, some if somebody else thinks that that's going to be how they're going to start a successful business, but I, I, I would put my money on the, on that just never being a good idea. Um, I, hopefully they'll eventually raise uh, the THC level or the, maybe if we could get uh, if they change it to THCA plus delta nine. And then allow it, uh, raise it to one percent. Yeah, I'm like because I'll buy flour, and I think hemp flour has actually got a pretty good future as well for a smokable product uh, with genetics and all that other stuff that's going to go on. But I've bought all the hemp flour that I've bought. The THCA is always higher than 0.3 or 0.3 percent. So like if you just straight converted the THCA into THC, which even if you are decarboxylating it, that's it's not a pure one-to-one conversion, but uh, I was always just kind of struck that, you know, it, but they were always less than 1%. So like if you just add them all together, your total THC was yeah. still always less than 1%. And 1% THC is not going to do pop kits to get you high. Hey, Travis, well, you know, I mean, you're saying Delta 9 though, but think about this. You could grow hemp that had a whole bunch of THCV in it. it THCV what? is more, it's, more distant from from delta nine thc than cbd is like is the active oh yeah yeah well that's that's interesting because then all right god forbid a slightly less than honest businessman would get involved in this industry and uh he'd say hey all right well we've already made sure that this thing is growing an appropriate amount of cbd and also the appropriate amount of thc Let's spike up this THCB. Did you say B or V? V, Victor. Tetrahydrocannabivarin. I have not heard of that. Uh, well, that there's There are tons. Of, yeah. I mean, I'd be hard-pressed to name more than like 20, but the, but we know that there's at least 113 in there. Yeah. Um, so there are all sorts of places where you could work with the cannabis plant um, within, you know, while keeping it hemp where you could grow. I, I know for a fact that uh, there are big farms that are growing high CBG crops this year, um, which I think CBG is where it's at. Where it's at. If I were going to start a hemp farm, um, I would. What if, can you, uh, I think this is from office space where it goes, what do you mean by that? Can you just expand on the CBG a little bit? So all of the cannabinoids in, uh, Cannabis are found in those trichomes on the, the female flowers, on the female flower. Yeah. Not all of them, but you know, the vast majority of it is in those uh, little glands, and all of the molecules in those those glands contain uh, cannabinoids and terpenoids and flavonoids, and the cannabinoids and terpenoids all come from one molecular precursor called geraniol pyrophosphate, and that. Uh, interacts with one of two acids, um, olivinaic acid or divernaic acid, I think, um, and turns into, uh, that's why I was saying THCV is so far removed from delta-9 THC compared to CBD, because um, with one of those acids, it shoots off and through a big, long process, ends up making THCV. But um, through the other process, it turns uh, that uh, geraniol pyrophosphate turns into CBGA, cannabigerolic acid. Um, and that CBGA then can turn into THCA or CBDA or, you know, some other stuff via, it's an enzymatic process. So the CBGA uh, enzymes, THCA or CBDA, and then decarboxylate those, those turn into CBD and THC. And then 
and then oxidize the THC and turn it into CBN, which is also A-OK, according to the farm bill, the way I read it. Yeah. So, and CBN. Right, right. Is, How do you get CBN? I thought the only way that you got that one was if you if your THC deg- uh, degrades. Right. So oxidize it. So you degrade if you intentionally degrade the THC, then you know, I believe you can turn it into CBN. I'm not a chemist, so I couldn't tell you. You know, uh, just from the past five seconds of, or five minutes of your your uh, talk, it does sound like you have a fairly extensive knowledge of the chemistry that is related to this uh, this cannabis plant, though. I know enough to feel like I'm being a responsible person when I sell CBD products to people. Nice. Um, Hey, Travis, have you put in your input for the uh, the federal, uh, the FDA's uh, statement for the open hearing on the 31st? No, but I'm going to. Yeah, so the, the 31st is the big day. Um, I don't want to mail it in. Yeah. I want to do a really good job with it, and um, I just haven't. I know the time's ticking, but. Yeah. Well, the public comment period then for this one's the FDA, because their public comment period on cannabinoids is open until July 2nd. For USDA, the meeting that I've got my so there's two things going on, right? Isn't there the FDA's big meeting is the FDA's public comment period that's due until July 2nd of this year for scientific data and information about products containing cannabis or cannabis derived compounds, public hearing requests for comments. Okay, the FDA. Okay, so maybe the deadline's not that tight, but. I want to get it done by the 31st, though. But yeah, yeah. I think that's the USDA hearing is on the 31st. They're they're taking public comments on that, too. Is it? Huh. Okay. Hey, on, well, on that note, though, on. I do need to be signing off here. Um, I got a job I got to get to. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jared, well, three of us are at work. Well, I guess all three of us are at work, right? Huh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but Travis, I really want to thank you and Vberks for coming on. It was very uh, educational, informative, and um, you know, thanks for coming on, man. Well, I appreciate you having me. I um, wish you guys luck on your podcast. I would welcome people to go to the find Vberks on YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Oh, absolutely. Because- I'll uh, I'll make sure to update. I'll take I'll take this and chop it into uh, the web page, and I'll put a link to your YouTube channel for subscription, and then I'll subscribe myself. Awesome. We need four more and then we'll hit our, our hundred. We had our, we always streamed to Facebook last Tuesday. They cut our stream in the middle of the Yeah, show. I'm streaming to Facebook right over there. Like three people are actually watching and some of them are like turtleish and they're, they're commenting about how they're also commenting on our, our live YouTube. And then Miggy's reading their, uh, their comment. Yeah. It's a time. It's a weird time to be alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks so much. I'll see you guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, dude.